you know, it's like, oh my God, here we go again. They get an eye roll and an eye roll communicates all the judgment that they anticipate. And so they don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. And if there's anything that is helpful for human beings in general, and I think borderline people who are incredibly sensitive, is the need to be seen and understood. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Greetings, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Dr. Connell Cowan. Dr. Cowan is a clinical psychologist and author of the 1986 New York Times bestselling book, Smart Women, Foolish Choices. Dr. Cowan also established the Human Services Center in Los Angeles, a nonprofit center for research and treatment that has been featured on CBS's 60 Minutes. Dr. Cowan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gabe. I'm happy to be here. I want to start off by saying that even in mental health circles, borderline personality disorder is very stigmatized. It's a topic that we covered in the episode Stigma of Borderline Personality Disorder with Dr. James Seymour. One of the reasons that this stigma seems to hold is because people with borderline personality disorder often refuse treatment, leading their friends and family members to assume that this illness is their fault. But is that a fair and reasonable thing to believe? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's fair or reasonable. First of all, borderline personality disorder is a terrible kind of diagnostic label to have. Part of the reason it's such a bad label is that it's very nonspecific. It, it's often comorbid with so many other things that it's a catch-all uh, kind of diagnostic label. I mean, first of all, you know, when you hear borderline, what comes to the mind of a lot of people is it's some kind of the borderline between sane and insane. And uh, people with this kind of diagnosis are not crazy. They're just hurting. And there are reasons that they don't seem to get into treatment at the same rate that some other people do. And I think the primary reason is that they don't see themselves at the center of their problem, uh, the way they've built up protective mechanisms uh, for themselves is to externalize the the reasons for what they see happening around them, as opposed to feeling at the center of them. And in working with a borderline person, that's that's really the function of of the work is to create self-awareness and the awareness that, that, that they control their life. They control what happens around them because they don't feel in control. They feel at effect of it all. And when you are feeling at effect, you, you, you don't see yourself as um, the reason for the events that swirl around and because you don't, therapy just doesn't seem like it's going to uh, be of help. And, and, and look, a lot of times borderline people have big swings, big emotional swings. So sometimes they're feeling very confident. When they're feeling confident, therapy is the last thing that occurs to them. And then when they're feeling really down and empty, which is another kind of very common feeling for 
borderline people, they feel uh, hopeless and, and like therapy couldn't possibly be of help. So there are a lot of reasons that they don't want to get into therapy, even though therapy can be helpful. In preparation for this episode, I, I did a, a simple non-scientific poll of, of people who identify as living with borderline personality disorder. And I asked those who refused treatment, why? And the top two reasons that they gave were because one, they think that the treatments won't work or two, because they feel stigmatized by medical professionals. And many people indicated a combination of both. How can we address this? Well, you know, I think the stigma issue is is being addressed over time. Things are changing and they're changing slowly. Uh, but it's, it's not the, the kind of, stigma that people think it is. And I think we're moving in the right direction. Are, are, are we there yet? No, we're not. Um, the other thing is they don't think that it would be helpful. I, you know, I think part of the issue is if you don't try something, you have no way of knowing. I mean, you know, we make a lot of assumptions. We we jump to conclusions. It's interesting. We don't have a phrase that jumps away from conclusions. We only jump to them. Conclusions are really easy to jump to and, and much harder to kind of get away from. But the notion of disappointment, I think, particularly for people who identify with borderline kinds of symptoms, is a sensitive issue. Trust is a sensitive issue. If you're thinking of getting into treatment, so those, those are big issues. Rejection, the fear of rejection is a big issue. So that there, there's a lot of emotional resistance to doing that. People who identify with borderline kinds of symptoms very often are disappointed in people. One of the, the most classic dynamic in a relationship with someone who is struggling with these issues is that initially they think you can do no harm. They idealize you and inevitably you, you make a mistake, you disappoint them in some way and you become their worst enemy. And so they have a long history of being disappointed in those kind of important relationships. And you know, if you're gonna sit down and talk to someone, you're vulnerable you are open to being hurt. You're open to being disappointed and they have a history of that and they don't want to repeat it. So there are a lot of reasons why they don't want to get into therapy. But what I try and get people to do is to just give it a try. And very often, if they give it a try, they actually can connect. But you know, it's interesting if you're looking just at the diagnosis, the remission rates for people with borderline issues are really remarkable. Unlike other personality disorders, which are very stable. I mean, people who are antisocial aren't just antisocial for a while. People who are narcissistic are not narcissistic for a while. That's a very stable kind of personality trait. Borderline issues are notoriously not stable. When someone is first diagnosed with it, a few years later, very often they don't meet those same criteria. So there's a progression, really with or without treatment, 
those symptoms tend to modulate. In part, when you look at borderline, the heart of being in that kind of a struggle is really about not knowing how to regulate your emotions effectively. And uh, I think that there's some kind of maturation where people over a period of time get better at modulating their, their emotions. One of the hallmarks of a borderline personality diagnosis and the way that society often sees people diagnosed with borderline personality is drama follows them everywhere. They create a lot of drama. Is is this desire not to seek treatment part of that creating drama or is it much more difficult to understand than that? You're right. Drama does seem to follow them everywhere. Everything is a crisis. And I understand how people can kind of come to that conclusion uh, that this is just another way of, of doing that. But I think that the way to look at someone who has these kinds of struggles is this is the way they're attempting to make sense of their experience. The drama that they create and they're creating it is not an accident. This is not intentionally created. It's a way to try and understand and regulate feelings that they don't know how to regulate in other ways. And if they see any sign of disapproval, they're incredibly sensitive. They will reject before they'll be rejected. You know, the concept of fight or flight, which is the kind of classic stress response. The human body is, is built for that. That's helped us survive. But it, it, it's built to get fired and then to calm down. And for people with borderline personality disorder, they don't know how to calm themselves. They don't know how to regulate their feelings. Everything seems more important than it is. Everything is more sensitive than it really is. Uh, so they live in, in a state of heightened threat. And that's really at the heart of the theatrics and drama that you see around borderline people. You know, you, you were talking about how do you not kind of drop out when you hear their theatrics? And when you anticipate theatrics, uh, the, the minute someone gets a few words out of their mouth, you've already turned off. You feel like you've heard it all before. And very often, that's kind of the human nature response is to just kind of drop the curtain. And I think particularly for borderline people, uh, it's important to listen to them. And this goes well beyond borderline. You know, but people think they've heard everyone's story. Uh, so that when someone starts, you, you feel like you know where they're going again. Uh, and, and particularly if it's theatrical or dramatic, you know, it's like, oh, my God, here we go again. They get an eye roll and an eye roll it communicates all the judgment that they anticipate. Uh, and so they don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. Uh, and if there's anything that is helpful for human beings in general, and I think borderline people who are incredibly sensitive, is the need to be seen. Uh, 
and and understood. And again, I I think that the the theatrics, the drama, is is part of the story that they're telling themselves. And you know, we all as human beings have our story. That's part of their story. Uh, it's not to be taken personally. It's hard not to take some of that personally if you're getting stuff thrown at you. But the way you stay uh, with it, not turn off, is not take it personally. To understand it's about them, it's not about you. Uh, And to understand that it really is generated by an attempt to regulate their emotions, which they're having a hard time doing. And and part of those theatrics is it's it's dysfunctional. It's not a I'm not putting us out as a healthy, constructive strategy to regulate emotions. But if you can be the rock, you can be the 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 voice of reason, the voice of of compassion and understanding and and acceptance in there. Not take it personally. You stay with these people, and they have great value. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing why people with borderline personality disorder may refuse treatment with Dr. Connell Cowan. One of the things that I think about when I think about the stigma of borderline personality disorder are all the old men in my life. All of my family members who reach a certain age and their wives are like, hey, you need to go to the doctor. And they're like, no, I'm just fine. And uh, what happens is, is, well, why don't you want to go to the doctor? What's changing? We understand you, you used to be, uh, you, you know, master of your own domain and you could climb a tree with one hand tied behind your back, but you know, now you've hit 60, now you've hit 65, now you've hit 70. We understand that you are afraid or reluctant or uninterested in treatment, but we're going to help you understand that you need to go. Now we, we, take this exact same thing for someone who's been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. They say that they don't want to seek treatment. We immediately throw up our hands and say, see, you're causing problems again. We don't address why we don't try to comfort. We don't try to understand. We just immediately say, Hey, you deserve whatever bad thing happens to you. And can you believe that they don't want to seek treatment? What can we do to shift that? Because every single person I talk to who loves somebody with borderline personality disorder Put the blame for not wanting to get treatment squarely on the shoulders of the person with the illness. And that sounds so very, very wrong to me. Well, it is wrong. And it's more than wrong. Maybe even more important wrong is that it's not effective. You know, if it were just prescriptive, 
you, you could say, hey, you know, you, you're you struggling. I see it. I, I know you must feel it. There are these resources out there. We think that it would really be helpful to you to uh, take advantage of them. Oh, thanks. You know, and it's not that easy. It, the resistance is always about fear. Negativity, that kind of negativity is about fear. And if, if you don't address the the center of it, you you just get pushback. Um, it's it's really interesting. I mean, in terms of of encouraging someone to get treatment, uh, if you push too hard, you're always going to get pushback. If you ignore it, that's that that's not a solution either. So. What happens is people tend to push too hard uh, very often initially, and then they throw up their hands and and don't do anything. Uh, but I think it really is is in understanding uh, the how how scary it is for someone who has these kinds of symptoms to put themselves in that position, and if you can. If you can offer a little empathy and understanding and compassion for that and, and encouragement as opposed to judgment, uh, borderline people, are, are they, they get judgment thrown their way in buckets and, and they've heard all the judgment. And, and that kind of an approach, making you know, them wrong is just counterproductive. It, it doesn't work. I really like that you said that it's just ineffective. Whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. It's not going to work and it's not going to help you achieve your goal of helping your loved one seek treatment. I know that you covered a little bit of this in your previous answer, but I just want to really drill it down. If you love someone with borderline personality disorder who is refusing treatment, is there an action plan or steps that you can take to encourage them to seek treatment? Well, you know, one of the things that, that, that I encourage people to do, Gabe, is to uh, offer to go with them. It could be a friend. It could be uh, an intimate partner. It could be uh, a parent. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. But very often, an offer to go with them for a time or two um, is a big step ahead. Uh, they feel just trusting enough, just confident enough to be able to deal with that. Part of it is borderline people uh, feel uh, like they have a long history of being judged. Uh, and, and, and look, for a lot of good reasons. I mean, they, they're difficult people to deal with. Uh, so, so that they've gotten a lot of judgment thrown their way. Uh, and they think therapy is just going to be another judgment. One more person, you know, who will find fault with them, uh, as opposed to someone who might actually be of help and, 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 and help them deal with understanding themselves in a little bit different way. So it's really, how do you overcome that? And it, it, it's kind of quiet encouragement. Without judgment, I, and, and again, I, I've seen it really be helpful to have someone say, "Listen, I'll go with you, you know, a few times. We'll do this together." Is just an, enough to get them over the hump. 
Dr. Cowan, I know that you have a wealth of information to share when it comes to why people with borderline personality disorder are reluctant to seek treatment or, of course, not seeking treatment. Is there anything that I missed? Do you have any final messages for our listeners who are, are trying to encourage someone to get therapy or, of course, someone living with borderline personality disorder who's thinking, you know what, this is not for me? Well, I, I think the most important thing, Gabe, is, and I, I think this is the most difficult thing, anybody who has a longstanding relationship with someone who struggles with this uh, has built up a, a lot of assumptions. And uh, those assumptions carry judgments. And if they could set those aside, it would really be helpful. And I, I, I know that that sounds probably impossible to do, but I think that to hear them anew is really important. And I, I think to bring up uh, the, the value of treatment and to understand that their reluctance to getting into it is, is fear-based, um, they, they they don't want one more person to judge them, uh, one more disappointment in their life. I think if you can talk about those kinds of things, uh, so you, you bring those up, uh, you dispel some of the fear. And again, I think saying, hey, I'll go with you, puts yourself as an ally. You're, you're not just someone telling them what to do. Uh, when you tell someone what to do, they're in a one-down position. You're the authority. You're, you're the advice giver. You're the one who's offering the instruction. They're, they're the ones that are, they, they feel like they're the bad ones uh, you know, being told what to do. Um, when you change that dynamic, you become an ally, you become a partner. Uh, that's why I think offering to go with them uh, for a time or two is can be enormously helpful. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for being here. I understand that you just wrote a new book. Uh, it's called Override. And it, it's it's basically the the ways that our brain chemistry kind of pushes us around in in ways that we're not aware of and it explores how those dynamics uh work for us in in everyday life you know and uh so we've 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 learned how to build some very specific easy to use strategies that take into consideration your kind of brain type that you have. Thank you once again so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Well, Gabe, it was a real pleasure. It was a pleasure talking to you. You know, And again, I just want to say that you're a bright light and a necessary one to be shining out there uh, for people and uh, keep it lit. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I will keep it lit as long as there are listeners. Allow me to. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illnesses and Asshole and Other Observations. You know what else I am? An award-winning public speaker who may be available for your next event. The book is on Amazon because, well, everything is, but... 
You can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this podcast, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show. Sharing the show is how we grow. So tell everyone you know. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.